Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Brian Lehrer on WNYC. If the city of New York suspects a parent is engaging in child abuse or neglect, what are caseworkers allowed to do to investigate, and what investigation techniques might violate the rights of the parents and maybe not even be in the best interest of the child? That's the question at the heart of a new lawsuit filed against the city by a group called the Family Justice Law Center. It alleges that the city's Administration for Children's Services uses coercive and invasive tactics that violate the Fourth Amendment's reasonable search and seizure clause and leads to unnecessary trauma and family separation. The city denies the charge. We will talk to one of the plaintiffs now and the plaintiff's lead attorney. The attorney is David Schalach-Klein, founder of the Family Justice Law Center. The plaintiff is New York City parent, Shalanda Curtis-Hackett. David and Shalanda, thanks very much for coming on. Welcome to WNYC. Thanks for having us, Brian. Thank you. David, everyone wants children protected from actual abuse or neglect. So with that as a given, want to take a minute or two and lay out the basics of your case? That, that's absolutely right. And, and this case is all about making New York City a more just and more safe uh, place for children, for parents, and for family units. Um, every year in New York City, uh, the Administration for Children's Services, ACS, conducts over 50,000 investigations every year. And in almost nearly every single uh, one of these investigations, um, they conduct home searches, um, and they frequently conduct strip searches of children. And the lawsuit alleges that the city, ACS, has a pervasive practice of using highly coercive tactics to gain entry into families' homes. Uh, They misrepresent their authority. uh, They lie to parents about their rights. um, They threaten to bring uh, the police to the home, and they even threaten to take uh, parents' children away if the parents don't allow them into the home. And once the parents um, are under this threat of family separation, um, ACS caseworkers rummage through uh, the entire home. They look under beds, they open refrigerators, they read labels in medicine cabinets, um, they open drawers, um, and they frequently ask children to lift up their shirt and pull down their pants. Um, And these tactics, these investigation Uh, tactics that ACS uses create enormous harm for parents and for children. Uh, Parents are humiliated um, that they have to acquiesce to strangers' demands in their homes in front of their children. Um, Children, in turn, are terrified and have to witness their parents kowtow to these scary strangers um, demanding that they disrobe. And they're viewing their parents, their protective figures, unable to uh, protect them in their own homes. Um, And this is harmful to, of course, then the family unit as well. Um, And although uh, 93% of ACS investigations lead to no charges being filed, um, these investigations leave in their wake lasting harm uh, for for these families. Um, And that is what this lawsuit um, is all about, uh, to get ACS to stop 
using these coercive tactics um, to enter family homes. And let me just say w one thing, Brian. Um, when ACS comes to a, a family home, those are government agents. Uh, there are three ways consistent with the Fourth Amendment that they can enter the home. Of course, if there's an emergency situation, uh, they can enter and should be able to enter the home um, without a court order or without uh, uh, the voluntary consent. Um, they, the second way they can enter is with a court order, that is a family court judge um, saying that there's probable cause for them to enter. Um, and the third way that they can enter a family's home is through voluntary consent, which means not coerced consent. Um, every single year, ACS uh, gets a court order in 0.5% of investigations, 0.5% of the 50,000 investigations. And that's only assuming one home search per investigation. There are frequently four or five or many times others. Um, ACS claims emergency circumstances um, in removing a child in 1.5% invest of investigations, which means that in over 95% of investigations, um, ACS is entering homes through what they say is um, caretakers and parents' consents. Um, but what the plaintiff's stories show and what the community has been saying for years now is that that consent is coerced through fear um, and through highly coercive tactics that make parents feel like they don't have a choice. Um, and Shalanda, uh, one of our plaintiffs, had mm -hmm. one of those experiences. Uh, well, let me ask you one pushback question, and then we'll invite Shalanda uh, to tell why she joined this lawsuit as, as a plaintiff. Uh, obviously, the city denies the charge. They say they're committed to keeping children safe and protecting parents' rights as well. Obviously, you disagree. But what motivation would the city agency, whose job it is to protect children, have to break up families unnecessarily? So uh, let me push back a little bit to, to uh, your pushback, or which is ACS's pushback frequently, which is ACS creates a false construction, which is they put child safety on one side of the ledger and families' rights on the other. That is false and it's actually dangerous for children because it fosters and perpetuates a culture of ACS using these invasive um, and distressing and degrading tactics. Of course, when there's an emergency, ACS needs to uh, go into a home and protect a child. Um, but when government agents, Brian, um, enter a family home, there's, a, there's an ancient adage, right? Every person's home is their castle. Um, and, the and the Constitution was constructed in a way that uh, has that disfavors government agents, particularly executive branch uh, government agents, going into families' homes. In fact, it is presumptively unreasonable, meaning that it is presumptively illegal and unconstitutional for a government agent like an ACS caseworker to enter right. a family's home without a court order. But, but you're making a constitutional argument. I'm asking you a motivation question. These are social workers. They're not even cops. They're social workers. What motivation would they have to mistreat families? Well, when you ask a lot of impacted families, they actually say that they feel like these ACS investigators are cops, that they are policing them in a distressing way where they're not actually protecting their child. Listen, at every single stage of the process, there's so much fear about what if something went wrong. And 
caseworkers feel an enormous amount of pressure. There was a leaked ACS report that showed that caseworkers um, felt incentivized to be intrusive and not tell parents their rights. ACS tried to hide this report, and it was unearthed and published in the New York Times. Um, Listen, it's easier to go into a family's home um, than uh, to follow the Constitution. Um, It is easier to threaten a parent um, to get into a home using these tactics uh, rather than getting a court order. But but let me say this, and I, I don't think a lot of caseworkers even know this. The legislature, the New York legislature, created a very easy process, a very clear process for caseworkers to get judicial approval before going into homes. The family court, the New York City family court, Um, is required to be available at all hours of the day for ACS workers um, to make requests either in writing or even by phone um, to convince a judge uh, that entering the home and doing these types of search tactics are required. And what that does is it takes these incredibly critical decisions out of uh, the unilateral hands of the executive branch of that caseworker and lets a family court judge assess whether doing these searches um, are required. And and the family court judges um, have to take into consideration, is it the least intrusive way? Is there actually probable cause? Um, who is the caller who's, who's making this report? Um, as the lawsuit, lawsuit shows, There's an enormous problem with anonymous callers, um, particularly in the domestic violence realm, where abusers weaponize, and that is actually ACS's own words, the commissioner said that, um, uh, 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 abusers weaponize ACS by making anonymous, false, and malicious calls um, against mothers who were survivors of domestic violence as retaliation Mm. um, for them kicking kicking them out of their home. Um, as just one example, Miss um, Gould, who is the very first named plaintiff in our case, um, she's a survivor of terrible, really traumatic domestic violence, um, and her abuser made repeated false and malicious calls against her, all of the investigations unfounded. Um, over the course of the last roughly four years, she and her children have undergone at least 35 home inspections by ACS workers. Let me say that, 35 home inspections. And ACS each time uh, entered her home, not within an emergency, not with a court order, but by using tactics of fear, of threatening to take away her children, of threatening to take away the police. And once they were in the home, strip searching the children and humiliating the family. And plaintiffs like Ms. Gould and Ms. Curtis Hackett, who were both black. Um, Unfortunately, in New York City, it is not uncommon for this to happen. A black child in Mm -hmm. New York City has a 50% chance of being subjected to an ACS investigation by the time they turn 18. That's shocking. This is WNYC, FM HD and AM New York, WNJT FM 88.1 Trenton, WNJP 88.5 Sussex, WNJY 89.3 Netcong, and WNJO 90.3 Toms River. We are New York and New Jersey Public Radio and live streaming at WNYC.org, coming right up to 11 o'clock as we talk about the new lawsuit filed against the New York City Administration for Children's Services based on alleged coercive and invasive and unnecessary uh, and traumatizing searches 
with the lead attorney for the plaintiffs, David Shalek Klein, founder of the Family Justice Law Center, and one of the plaintiffs who we just mentioned, Shalanda Curtis Hackett. Shalanda, thank you for your patience. David asked you to join this morning and you agreed. What would you like people to know about what you say happened in your case that led you to file suit? Yes, I mean, I would like people to know that this is not a benevolent agency that comes in under the guise of support and help. Um, when they come to your home, when they call you, um, you are you are accused and you are framed as guilty and you have to work your way and prove that you are not. And so when they do come to your home and they do gain access, it's not through some voluntary um, consent. I was threatened. I was threatened with the police. I was threatened at the height of COVID and when there was uh, obvious civil and social unrest with our New York City Police Department. So there was no way that I was going to heighten this investigation with adding the police to it, which my children didn't have any interactions with. And I knew that it wasn't coming in a positive way. It was coming very negatively. And so I want folks to understand that these cases and these investigations, as David said, 95% of the time are unfounded, that they're not coming in in this helpful social work framework. That's not what it is. These are government agents who come in, who accuse you based on the presumption of something happening, happening, not with actual facts. And as a parent, you are navigating this more often alone without the support of any legal support, which you have um, the availability in New York City to have that. And my rights weren't told to me. And I had to navigate this. My family had to navigate this alone. And it was very scary. It was very scary to, to have this underlying threat of someone saying, if you don't do the things that I want you to do, uh, there's a high possibility that I will escalate and have your children removed. And I've seen this in my community. I've seen decades of this happening and people's children being removed and them working for months and years to get their children back. And ACS just says, okay, here, your children back. Okay, nothing really happened. So I didn't want any of that to happen to my children. So when she threatened me with the police, I had the option of the lesser of two evils in which I thought would be letting her in. And were there consequences for you? And the consequences of this, you know, shaking up my life for two months, absolutely. Um, having to, you know, be available when they needed to come, having my children available and asked invasive questioning, you know, going through my home um, and also trying to suppress any sort of emotion, because I know that that is also weaponized against the parents, that any, you know, anger or upset or frustration with the process is that that gets written down as, you know, taking as a mental health problem and that that it could escalate far beyond what the allegation is. And so once it was over and it is unfounded, unfortunately, there's nothing I can do if someone wants to call again. So that's always a lingering, you know, a lingering possibility that mm -hmm. I, I sit with every day as I as I do advocate that I'm I'm still unprotected. And so you want this due process that the suit asks for where they either need an emergency situation, a warrant from a court, uh, or your consent in order to enter, correct? Absolutely, and telling people what their rights are from the first uh, point of contact. Mm 
Um, unfortunately, they don't tell you that. They don't tell you that you have a right to not let them in. You have a right to seek legal counsel and support. That's not what that was never told to me throughout the whole entire process. And so it's just like we have rights. We have rights. We should know what they are and we should make the best decisions based yeah. on um, our families. And again, as David said, if there's an emergency, they have the mechanisms to do that. And this was not an emergency. And unfortunately, myself, family members have all gone through this and gone through the ringer with this without any support. And they yeah. choose to not tell people that for those reasons. Notifying you of your rights is an important piece of this. I'm glad you mentioned it. I, I see there's a bill in the New York State Legislature that's called the uh, Miranda Rights for Families. Like when police arrest somebody, they tell them you have the right to remain silent, etc. cetera, um, Miranda Rights. And so you're saying that you hope the court, even if the legislature doesn't do it, declares that there should be something like Miranda rights for parents who are being investigated, that be, they be informed of their rights at the point of investigation, correct? Absolutely. Um, the state bill, as well as there's a bill in city council as well for Miranda uh, rights being written and orally disseminated to people, and especially in the languages that they speak, is highly important because we all know that if you, you, you don't know your rights are being violated if you don't know your rights. So even if the legislation... Right. It's going to take a while for uh, people to put it in practice. And because they've had this culture for so long in violating people's rights in, in coercive ways that it's it's not going to, you know, make that change right away. But it needs to happen and the courts need to uphold it. And so that when they do violate it, there's some recourse for families um, as we, you know, push and do know your rights training for communities that we're doing it on both ends. We have a few minutes for phone calls, listeners. Anyone want to help report this story or make an argument on either side of this lawsuit against the city's administration for children's services? Are you a caseworker listening right now? Are you a parent who's ever been investigated by the city for abuse or neglect? Are you a teacher? I see a teacher was calling in but couldn't wait to hang on. Teachers are what they call mandatory reporters if they suspect one of their students is the victim of child abuse or neglect. They are required under the law to report it. So teachers or anyone else, 212-433-WNYC-433-9692. And let's take a call from Kelly in Brooklyn. You're on WNYC. Hi, Kelly. Uh, yes, uh, I wanted to say I'm a psychologist who's often retained by the attorneys of birth families who whose children are... Uh, have been, um, you know, in child in child protective custody, and I wanted to speak to the fact that that initial reaction of the parent when the ACS is coming into the house can sometimes be used against them. And the thing to bear in mind is that they're coming in the middle of the night. They're waking everybody up. It's a shocking, shock and awe, terrifying moment. And it's the same kind of compliance, absolute compliance, that is expected of those parents that you see on the law enforcement side. So I've actually been in cases where I'm testifying to speaking to uh, explaining the reaction of the parent at the point when ACS is coming in as a, as a, a normal reaction 
do your children feeling threatened that your children are going to be taken from you? Um, So the other thing that's really, really important is that that manner of coming into the home is not effective in detecting abuse. Um, the, The more severe certain kinds of abuse, the harder it is to detect under those circumstances. Uh, a, a coercive, controlling, abusive uh, parent is very savvy in those situations. The children know not to speak against a parent. So actually, with their coming in, they're seeing poverty factors. So they're coming into a home, a snapshot in the middle of the night, uh, bad reaction by the parent, mm. and maybe the house is a mess. And so the the uh, you know the a coercive, controlling, abusive parent isn't even flagged in that process. I have seen and been a part of cases where there was severe coercive control, controlling abuse uh, that was also physical abuse, multiple ACS investigations. But those kinds of abusers are very savvy. So that whole process. Of how they of trying to, yeah. uh, you know. So on on that side of it, Kelly, how can they do a better job of identifying the actual controlling parents who may present well to the investigators? I guess is what you're saying. Um, in addition to not over investigating people who are having an understandable emotional reaction uh, to having their home crashed by the authorities. Well, this speaks very much to New York law and the policies, but my argument has always been that when parents are flagged, they don't have, they have legal representation, but all of the, all of the psychological and mental health explanations are generated by the state. The, 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 the parent doesn't have legally, the state isn't going to pay for the parent to have a mental health expert on their side at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, talking about and offering mm-hmm. a counter narrative mm-hmm. to the state's mental health characterization of the parent. Kelly, thank you for all that. I appreciate it. Let's get one more in here. Dana in Florida, formerly of the Bronx. I think was embroiled in a case involving her. Dana, you're on WNYC. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So I want to answer the previous question as to why it is beneficial to ACS to conduct these investigations and let the world know that it's financial gain, that when children are removed, ACS makes money. The individual workers, when they remove children, they are compensated for it. So that's the main reason why they do what they do. They not like they not money. like they get a bonus per child who's removed from a home, right? So what do you mean compensated? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what we were told in the past that they do get a bonus um, per child. That although it's uh, money coming from the government, you know, it's it's beneficial for them to find a case founded. So in my case, um, I was a retired emergency medical technician who got injured on the job. And I had an abusive ex who I got rid of, and ACS stalked me. We had six or seven cases. 
they even accused me of being on too much pain medication, which I find appalling because I was seeing a pain management doctor for the injuries I had, Mm -hmm. and they tried to use that against me. When I went to visits, um, I had my child looked at at a child advocacy center to find out exactly what was happening, and the ACS worker sat there, listened to the investigation, showed up in family court and told the judge I was lying and I was training my child to lie. However, the the report came back and it was five pages long and it spoke about all the abuse that my son went through, the things that he witnessed. He was being tied up. He was having tape put over his mouth. And yet and still, ACS did not charge him with anything. In fact, they offered supervised visits where he was continuously threatening my child and the ACS worker sat there with headphones on bopping her head to music while he was intimidating my child during their 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 visit and then when we left ACS was not following their own guidelines when working with domestic violence and when we left they would allow him to leave at the same time and he would be waiting for us outside I told the worker this was happening and I was fearing for my life and I had already been in horrific situations with this man, which is why we both had orders of protection, myself and my child. And they were facilitating these visits and putting me in danger. And the ACS worker didn't care. So I had to go outside and call the police and have them arrest the father because Mm. these visits were persistent and consistent with ACS. They didn't want to hear that my child said he hated his father and he wished he was dead and he was hurting him. They didn't care. They just kept facilitating more visits. Dana, thank you. I'm sorry that all that happened to you, but thank you for telling that story. And, you know, uh, shockingly, perhaps to some listeners, there are a couple of similar stories coming in that we're not going to have time to take. Uh, And Shalanda, it's kind of to your point, too, that sometimes the parent who's actually taking care of a child gets uh, comes under more suspicion than the parent who's not in the home anymore, and was an abuser in the first place. Um, but David, as we run out of time, the uh, I'm looking at a city government website on child fatalities in cases that were under investigation for abuse or neglect. This is from 2021, which is the most recent year I could find. It says, this report reviews 53 child fatalities from calendar year 2021 that occurred in families that were known to ACS because of active involvement in an ACS investigation or services at the time of the fatality or because of such involvement in the preceding 10 years. Um, My question is, in order to protect the rights of the parents and the way your lawsuit seeks... Do you think there will be any sacrifice in terms of the number of child fatalities? So the, the fatalities that happen are, are heartbreaking, they're devastating, and it's everybody's goal, um, including ACS's, to reduce uh, the number of fatalities. I think the main danger um, in the way ACS conducts their investigation is that it's driven by the fear of um, these incredibly rare uh, fatalities that happen. I think in that report, Brian, that you're referring to, it's, it comes to 0.02% uh, percent of um, investigations. 
And what's important for uh, your viewers to understand is that of the 50,000 plus investigations every year, um, over 85% of them are for allegations of what's known as neglect, which as Shalanda des described, um, is frequently confused with and conflated uh, with, with poverty and not about abuse um, or abandonment, abandonment, which are the cases that get um, frequently a lot of play. And, and going back to your earlier question, Brian, um, there was uh, an unintended experiment that happened in, in COVID, at the be in beginning years of COVID. It was and one of have, the silver we have, lines. We have 30 seconds, I'll, I'll just go, saying. I'll go quick. Um, uh, there was an amazing paper that came out by uh, uh, Melissa Friedman and Daniela Rohr, who are at the Legal Aid Society of the Juvenile right Rights Practice. And what they showed is that during that time when there were fewer home searches and less government surveillance, children remained just as safe. Um, and ACS will never be a successful agency until the community that it's supposed to serve trusts it instead of fears it. So this lawsuit will make the city safer and more just for children, for parents, and for families. David and Shalanda, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Thank you, Brian. Thank you.